Bandwidth for March has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they're the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. Matt McInerney, New York. Andy Mangold, Baltimore, Maryland. Dan Auer, San Francisco. It's February 26th, 2015. This is On The Grid, episode 104. So a funny thing happened this episode. We were going to record a show about jobs and pointless jobs and the idea of basic income or guaranteed minimum income. Uh, And then it got us thinking about why we do anything we do. If money were involved, what would we be doing? So we talked about that because we're a little bit more qualified to do so. Here we go. Gentlemen, how was your week? That used to be my line. I know. I like how I know. you jump right in there. New Dan is very yeah. fucking charismatic. Yeah. So you, got, you know you what? You got a new job, man. Congratulations. Oh, God, you spoiled it. Andy, take it back. Take it back. No, because I was gonna, I was gonna lead into it. And be like, hey, guess what? We haven't done in a while. Oh, the energy is gone. So uh, you guys knew about this stuff uh, behind the scenes, but I hadn't really talked about it. Uh, But officially, I have the news to be able to announce that I'm going to be joining the team at CBS Interactive. And that sounds like, okay, it's just CBS or whatever. Maybe they do websites. Uh, The thing is, the kicker is that I'll be working on two websites. One is GameSpot. The other one is Giant Bomb, uh, which are two very, very, very big gaming news outlets. It's super exciting. So, yeah. Good for you, man. I'm excited. You're doing game stuff. It's yeah. what you were supposed to be doing this whole time. I know. And uh, Giant Bomb, like I've been following for quite a while now, like they have, um, they always have panels. Well, you can't really call it panels. It's just them joking around on stage at every PAX. So I go and see them every time. Uh, and also they just have really good content and everything. And then GameSpot is definitely something I've visited for a long time. So the fact that I actually get to work on them, mm-hmm. like it feels weird, man. I didn't know that I would actually be able to do something like that in my time. So I'm stoked. I'm so excited for you. My internet cut out as soon as I said congratulations. And so I didn't hear anything you said after that. And I thought something bad had happened. Dan found a giant bomb. Oh, oh God, no. no. Cut, the, cut the red wire. Red wire. Now. <laughs> but then I came back and you were explaining your job. So it's great. So anyways, that's the big news. Uh, so I figured that we can go and get that out of the way as soon as possible out of the way why we want to get at it we want to celebrate we want to be here with you in this moment oh i know let's get andy champagne drunk let's not do that yeah what it would be fun for us i mean fun fun for you maybe i don't i don't like it though i like to just drink water that was probably a killer headache too the last time (sighs) i'm so happy for you dan thank you the way way you're talking about it you're like a bubbly little kid and you're like i didn't know i could do the things i loved and you can and i'm so excited for you my heart it goes out to you Thank you. Uh, don't, don't, please don't actually give me your heart. You're well, it's too late. That. It's already in the mail overnight. Oh, so. Okay. And he's like a chicken with his head cut off. He's just kind of running on steam for a little bit. Yeah, I can, I can go on steam for a long time and just, you know. Is that the phrase on steam? Running on fumes? Well, on fumes. Yeah, I don't think chickens run on either steam or fumes. You don't know uh, shit about chickens. Hey, of course, what's going through my head right now is the gaming stuff is like, oh, so it runs on steam. It runs on fumes. It runs on Xbox. It runs on PS4. Okay, gaming guy. Great. Uh, fumes is a shitty game engine. Yeah. Fumes actually a game engine? No. Yeah, it only runs for a short period of time, though. Oh. I can't tell what's a joke and what's not a joke. Someone please send help. Since we, since we last spoke, uh, I've been in St. Louis and Chicago. 
Oh, how did your fun. Chicago talk go? Well, the talk was in St. Louis. I stopped by Chicago on the oh, way. Oh, then I don't know oh. anything about anything. On the why, way to why are you talking friends. in St. Louis and going to Chicago? Those things don't seem related. Well, they're, I mean, they're basically neighbor cities. When you get to the Midwest, they're basically right next to each other as far as Midwest cities go. So I had a lot of friends in Chicago, wanted to stop and see them. And uh, you may recall, I was excited to take the train out. You remember me talking about trains and how great trains were? Yep. Yep. And I remember saying, that's crazy. Yeah, Not well, because of trains, but because of how long. Here's, so how, took a plane. here's how great trains were. You know, I was, my, my train was supposed to leave Wednesday morning from Baltimore at 9 a.m. Going to be on it for 24 hours straight, 25-ish hours straight to get to Chicago. And I got a call Tuesday afternoon from a robocall from Amtrak. who was just like, hey, by the way, that train is totally canceled and there's no opportunity to reschedule and no alternatives. <laughs> and I was like, thanks, Amtrak. I've never gotten a, a call like that before where they were literally like, this thing is canceled and you have no recourse. Uh, and then they said at the end, uh, we're sorry for any inconvenience, as if anybody was not inconvenienced by having a 24-hour train ride canceled <laughs> 18 hours before it left. Man. Okay, so, so what'd you do? Yeah, well, so I had taken an airplane in Chicago, and then I took a train Aww. still from Chicago to St. Louis, and I took another airplane back home, and the airplane back home got canceled, and I got stuck in O'Hare for like 12 hours, and I got into Reagan instead of BWI. Is that when you lived in an airport? That's when I was living in an airport, yes. You may, you may recall the With Tom Hunks? With, with, with Tom Hunks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> precisely. No, I had a very nice time. I was, uh, I was speaking opposite Rick Valicenti of Thirst Design, who is, you know, the kind of guy that's been doing great design work for longer than I've been alive. So I think it was a very stark contrast in our presentations for, for the students that were there. What did you end up saying? Well, I, so what I ended up doing, because I knew it was going to be a captive audience of students, mostly juniors and seniors. So what I ended up doing, actually, was mostly I like went and mined all of my old work that I still had and kind of self-critically cut apart my, my career as a student and as a young designer into like discernible chunks and talked about what my values were at that chunk, who my role models and designers I was looking up to were at that chunk of my life, my influences, and also showed some work from each chunk of my life, which I think for some students was very um, relatable, which was my goal. I wanted people to look at it and be like, oh, I, I'm there. I know that feeling or whatever. And then some students I think just thought it was very funny because I made fun of myself a lot and mm -hmm. showed all the stupid stuff that I've done and all the dumb things I've been interested in. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was very the very sharp contrast with uh, Rick's talk, which was basically like, here's a bunch of beautiful, amazing work I've done over the past 35 years, um, which yeah. is just very different from me being like, during this part of my life, I watched a lot of Dragon Ball Z and I liked Jinko jeans and here's a bad drawing I did. So I don't know. I had a little bit of, uh, of doubt after doing my talk and then immediately after seeing Rick's talk, I was like, oh, that was... I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I went too far. I was a little bit too self-deprecating. Are you worried no one respects you now? They're just like, oh, first the bad designer talked, then the good designer talked. <laughs> I mean, it was definitely like that. <laughs> There's no doubt. Uh, I think that's basically what they saw. I imagine they're thinking, like, when they were planning the event, they tried to get a really bad designer that had no shame and a really good designer just to show us, you know, kind of the, the worst we could be and the best we could be. I remember being in elementary school, and they'd bring in... Uh, we'd have the dare program and they'd bring in the cop yeah. to kind of talk about drugs. And then they'd also bring in the former heroin addict. That was to talk me. About drugs. Yeah. I was the former heroin addict of this particular, uh, lecture. Mm -hmm. mm. Here's what design did to my life. Yeah. <laughs> this is where you could go wrong. Yeah. People. You're, you're just flipping through your portfolios saying I've seen some shit. 
this was this was my bottom. Yeah, well, I showed some of that. I showed some of that cafe press work, which I think. I oh, I was I was gonna about. ask if you uh, if you showed some of those um, phenomenal T-shirts that you designed. Yeah, yeah, I did. I showed oh I showed the showed all the stuff, all the bad stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, guys. I'm pretty sure, like at that stage of w- me making things, I'm pretty sure I deleted all of it and burned anything that was physical. I, you don't have to delete it. It's just hard to find. Like I, I'm sure I have that stuff on SideQuest discs. That's Ooh. that's as good as deleted. Yeah. Wait, that's, what is a SideQuest disc? Are you really okay? So, um, ba- do you remember what a zip disc is? Yep. Yeah, my dad had a zip drive. Okay, you know, some of us had. <laughs> I had a zip what? drive. Yeah, man. Come on. Don't damn. Oh, don't do that. I'm young. You're, sorry. You are, are. You're exactly the same age as us, pretty much. No, no. I'm I'm young. You're old. Continue. I am. I bet we're the same graduating class. 2011? Mm, 2010. That's what I thought. I thought we were. <laughs> old man. Yeah, technically mm. I was 2008. If yep, I would have yep, done yep. it right. Old, old, old. So tell me more about old technology, you old dads. SciQuest yeah. was a disc that was a greater capacity than Zip that nobody had mm-hmm. except for a couple of pe- people who made stuff on computers. And I talked my family into getting one to back up the the PC that would crash every six months. That way I could back it up and then reformat it and put stuff back on it. And then it went out of business. And so I bought like, I don't even know, like 50 SideQuest discs and put everything on them. Each one holds like a megabyte or something. You know, I would love to know. SideQuest disc. 135 megabytes. Wow. That's not too bad. No, not bad at all. Hmm. And I think, I want to say... They made some that held more later. Oh, 1.5 gigabytes. Some sort of drive. Removable mm. disk drive. This, this oddly... Ah, yeah, competitor to iOmega's Jazz Drive. Remember the Jazz Drive? <laughs> yeah, it was Jazz. So it came out, I think it came out before the Jazz Drive, and you can get one gigabyte SideQuest disks. Pretty good. This honestly sounds the like, uh, like the laser disk of um, uh, file storage. Like, it was an idea. They tried to sell it. Ended up not working, and they went with whatever the, the crap the alternative was, like DVD or something like that. Yeah. This is when you had to get, you had to buy an extra drive. Like, it didn't, it wasn't built into your oh. computer. You oh, you just... mean like, you mean like in 2015, when you have to buy an optical drive for your, for your Mac shh, laptop? Shh, 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 no words. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> we just became like every other tech podcast, which is... Like, hey, we're middle-aged dudes talking about technology. They, they we're old guys who used to care about Macs, and now we're bored. So you want to talk about old technology? Uh, when I was your age, the internet went bigger, bigger, bigger. Who wants to introduce it? Should I do it or someone else do it? You do it. You, you just keep talking. <laughs> that's, that's the mantra for, for the po- When in doubt, you just keep open that mouth hole and let things come out. And then The Andy snowball is rolling downhill. Don't stop it. You're going to get killed. <laughs> Don't stand in the way, kids. It's nature running its course. There was a gentleman, a British gentleman, who wrote a thing for the internet where he basically postulated about all of the pointless jobs that we as humans have and he basically uh, says in this video that uh, this thing became very very popular because it resonated with a lot of people and it was basically talking about how 
So many jobs that people have today are pointless. They don't really do anything. They go to work and they move some paper around, answer some emails, but at the end of the day, their contribution to society is immaterial. Um, he points to some like financial industries, some he points to telemarkers specifically, he points to some other kind of industries where he says that these jobs just, as far as like humanity is concerned, do not need to exist, and yet we all have agreed to a certain degree that they do need to exist because here they are nonetheless. Uh, he points to this as being a, a point of job dissatisfaction where people are not happy. I, I, the thing I more want to talk about is actually something I'm, I'm a little embarrassed to admit I had never even been aware of before. I, you know, I, I kind of pay attention to politics as a little bit, just enough that I don't feel guilty, basically. But um, I did not realize that uh, on some, in some countries, like there are, there is discussion of having a, a basic income. And a basic income, for those of you unfamiliar, is the idea that everybody that lives in the country would just get a paycheck, no matter what, like Social Security, but for everybody, uh, all the time. Uh, to because the company because the 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 country could afford to do it and that paycheck would basically pay for for the sort of essentials of life you know it'd be equivalent to getting like a minimum wage job you'd be able to pay for food pay for shelter with just this government supplied income I did not even realize that anybody was at the place where that was a possibility and it kind of blows my mind because it's the most concrete example of how we we've arrived at this place right that everybody has written about we've gotten to the point where we really truly like certain countries do not have to work like <laughs> that is like completely ruled out you don't even have to do it if you don't want to like they have the country is set up such that that's not a problem uh, and yet our values have not shifted enough that we have accepted this new reality right like people don't vote for it because they'd rather they themselves be able to get very rich possibly uh, than have some of their money go to people that are, are not as wealthy um, so it's kind of crazy to me I did not know did you, did you know it was even a thing that was an option I did actually, yeah. I've I've heard it come up. It's a very popular topic to like get brought up on Reddit occasionally. Every once in a while, you're going to see a, a couple of people bring it up, and then the entire thread turns into a comment section just about basic income and and ideas about it. And then inevitably, someone will link to. There's an entire subreddit dedicated to basic income. It's so, just like fedoras. As soon as someone brings up a fedora, everyone's posting their fedora Right, it's not picks, mentioned in every single thread, but once it gets mentioned, it becomes a very popular topic of discussion. Yeah. And all the way down, we're talking about fedoras now. And I, the thing that I think is interesting is that probably a lot of major figures in economics have brought this up in some shape or form. Um, like, apparently Milton Friedman was a proponent of it at some point. John Maynard Keynes brings it up in the form of, I believe he was the guy who came up with the idea of like, or mentions um, paying people to dig ditches and then fill them back in again, and mm. just pay, which is basically the same thing. It comes up a lot. It's just more that I don't think the culture of the United States will ever support it, despite very prominent people thinking that maybe it's worth trying now. Well, th think of all the things that companies would have to do to make people want to work for them, right? If like the essentials of life were already taken care of, it would it would at the very least weed out all of the horrible, shitty labor practices and companies treating their employees in completely inhumane ways because no one would tolerate that because they wouldn't need to. Uh, and I still feel like there would be a, a a market for jobs. Like some people would still want to have more than the basic income, which surely wouldn't be living like a, a king or a queen. So there'd be a market for it, but that market would be, you, you, you wouldn't get to be McDonald's or be Walmart or be one of these horrible companies that people get paid minimum wage or less and have to do some backbreaking labor all the time. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get to be Uber. We're bringing it back around. Uh, you, you wouldn't get to be, you know, you wouldn't get to abuse the worker because people would just wouldn't tolerate it, uh, which is a beautiful idea to me. 
But um, I, I, the other thing, if, so it's I mean, hypothetically, I, I would let's say that in this country there was a basic income, and I would say it was like what what, what is minimum wage for a full year of work? Like thirty thousand, right? Something like that. Uh, in income, if you were to work a minimum wage job, forty hours a week. Uh, I think um, it's lower. Is it lower than that? Yeah. Um, Let's Google it. Let's not speculate. Yep. <laughs> That's easy to Google. Uh, $15,000 annually. Yes. Oh, my God. Minimum wage is so fucking low. Yeah, I, th- I thought it was going to be like 18, but wow. That's, yeah. Holy shit. $15,080. Wow. Um, all right. So, for the sake <laughs> of conversation. Jesus Christ. God. We just, minimum wage <laughs> in this country is so low. Yeah, that's low. a bummer. Holy shit. Man, now I'm just depressed. Okay, so... Everybody gets a basic a basic income. Let's say of twenty thousand. Let's round up, uh, and with that twenty thousand dollars basic income, you can maybe you're with a partner. You, you get together. You guys have forty thousand dollars. You can uh, save up for a little while and buy a modest house. At the very least, you can rent somewhere. Uh, probably pretty pretty modest, but you know you can, you can get something for that kind of money. Put food on the table. Um, so right away, uh, I think what you have is like at that wage level. I think most people in this country would still go and get a job and still want to make more money, right? Like that most people would not be satisfied with $20,000 per per capita in their household a year. Um, but, so I think maybe things would not change as dramatically as we would think on like a macro level. You look at, at any given person, most people are still going to be going, trying to get a job and trying to work and make more money and still kind of in this rat racy system, right? Where they're still trying to get a bigger house, a faster car, mm-hmm. whatever whatever we measure our value in. But what you've done immediately is basically like eliminated poverty, hypothetically, right? Like surely there's ways people could slip between the cracks in the system, but in a very big way, you've kind of just like raised the, the, the floor up, right? The, the lowest you can possibly go is nowhere near as low now, uh, which is an amazing thing to, for society to do. You've done that. And also for people that do not value the things that we just talked about, big house, fast car, et cetera, uh, you've given them essentially the platform to do whatever it is they want to do. So, so Dan, these people that wouldn't go out and seek something creative, that wouldn't become the new artists and the new musicians and the new whatever, the writers of, of the next generation, um, those people could still just go have a job. They could still work nine to five doing something and, you know, come home and watch TV. Mm-hmm. But for those people that do want to do that thing, you've removed every barrier for them, right? You, you've eliminated you've eliminated poverty to a big degree and you've removed every barrier for somebody that wants to be an artist and that's all they really care about. Uh, they can now focus 100% on their art and still know they have a roof over their head and still know they have food on the table and not have to worry about basic human needs. Uh, and think of all the great work that would come out of that. There's so many people I know that would do amazing things if they weren't waiting tables every day, right? Or, or doing some yeah, other kind of job yeah. they have to do because they have to make money. It's just this whole thing's an amazing idea to me. I'm still in shock that A, I didn't know about it, and that B, it's even an option, and we haven't all, like, <laughs> gloriously opted in for it yet. And, and think of what it would do for fucking inequality, right? Like, like so much of the systematic problems in this country specifically are that so many people can't afford the opportunity that other people can afford, and this is just giving everybody, like, a pretty solid foundation, right? Like, that is your safety net. Your safety net is that your country has agreed that everybody should have a roof over their head and food in their mouth because we can collectively afford it, and, you know, the rest is up to you. I mean, that was one of the main problems when we, on our last episode, when we talked uh, about, like, say, internships, where you can only take it because you don't have the safety net to fall back on. And meaning, like, if everything else falls apart, where are you going to be? And for some people, it's just 
at my parents' house, and for some people, it's homeless. Yeah. And that's a really big difference. Uncle Sam's house. There you go. Good old Unky Sam. So, let's play the other side of the story a little bit, because otherwise we're just going to sit here kind of wishfully hoping that the world would, would embrace this. And I think that the criticisms of this are probably, A, that, you know, we've gotten to this point. So let's say hypothetically, I don't know if it's the case in this country economically. I feel like we have a big uh, deficit, so I don't think it is the way, and it's this way in America. But let's say hypothetically we're at a place where we have enough money, our sort of government-owned systems are functioning well enough that we could afford to do this, right? The government can afford to give everybody this kind of paycheck. The idea, I guess, some of the detractors might be, we got to this place by operating a certain way, right? Capitalism got us here by driving us to create new ideas and new companies and build new things and innovate and make money and do all the great stuff that capitalism wants us to do. And if we then adopt this system, we're checking out of the system that got us where we are, and we're sort of starting the slow decline of where our, our, our businesses can no longer find cheap labor to do the crappy jobs, therefore their expenses go up, therefore their products get worse and they can afford to innovate less, and eventually this system becomes unsustainable yet again. I was just doing the math of how much money it would cost to supply more than 300 million people with $20,000 a year. I feel like we're out of our depth here. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. We totally are. Yeah. Of course we are. What is this podcast? What are we doing? So what would you do if you found yourself in a society where all of your essentials were taken care of? I mean, in this magical, mythical world, wouldn't it be amazing if people would just take the things they knew and put them online and in video format and then you could just spend your time learning those things. If, if only we had gotten to a place in our society where we could do that. If only we had come up with something like lynda.com. What is lynda.com, Matt? Lynda.com is a site used by millions of people around the world and has over 3,000 courses on topics like web development, photography, visual design, and business, as well as software training like Excel, WordPress, and Photoshop. Wait, 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 wait. So people just make all Ooh. of these videos to, to learn things? Not just people, all of their courses are taught by experts and new courses are added to the site every week. Whether you want to invest in a new hobby, ask your boss for a raise, even if you don't need a raise, or find a new job, or just sit at home, I guess, lynda.com has something for everyone. The future has arrived. What, I mean, what, like, what else do you want, people? Like, you, here's a list of just thousands of things you can learn online. And, and Matt, Matt, this surely must cost an insane amount of money. Like, I mean, college costs a lot of money. That's where I learned some things. So, I mean, how much could this possibly cost? Well, for 10 days, it doesn't cost anything because oh you can God. sign up for a free 10-day trial by visiting lynda.com slash OTG, as in on the grid. What's your favorite podcast? Lynda.com slash OTG, and you're going to get unlimited access to every course. You're going to be able to view tutorials on your tablet, iPhone, or Android device. You can access new courses every week. Yeah. And this is the part where we're supposed to recommend something. Dan, this is where you recommend something about music. Music? Like if you want to make music? Yeah, let's say you wanted to make music. Do you think they have courses on that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you could even learn how to be able to record the music. Like, you don't even have to stop at just knowing how to make the music. You can even record it, and then you can, like, send it to people. And it's going to sound good, and you can learn that on Linda. Like a podcast, like we're, how we're recording right now, how it's going to sound really good, and we're going to stitch it all together and make it perfect. How do you make a podcast? 
What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> I hope there's a course at lynda.com about how to make a podcast. Listen, people, lynda.com. The future has arrived. Learning is free for 10 days. And then after that, you got to pay for the future. But you know what? It's going to be worth it. It's time for a free 10-day trial today by visiting lynda.com slash OTG. Go ahead. I challenge you to learn something new in 2015. Embrace the future. You know, there is a course called Podcasting with GarageBand. That's what we do. Oh. Up and running with RSS and podcast subscriptions. That's what you do. Nailed you know, it. We should just... God, if we just took a course. Here's a hypothetical. Hit me. Like, let's say you, let's say, Andy, you have this basic income. What's your motivation? What are you going to create? You don't have to create to make money anymore. So what are you making? That's a good way to go with it. Um, I think it would change frequently. Uh, I, I probably... I would not be where I am now, right? If I just had the basic income, I wouldn't have a house like this if I had $20,000 a year only. Um, but right now, what I really want to do if I if I was told that I could stop going to work and just sit here and do whatever I want, uh, mm-hmm. I would like to work on the house and write about it and kind of start a blog of my writing about thinking about uh, space and a home and how to like architecture and interior design and all those kind of fun things i would love to be writing about that that's what my that's what my hands would do if i were not constantly distracting them with with work right now so yeah that's me at this exact moment but at other points in my life it would have been it would have been music it would have been writing songs it would have been building furniture it would have been other things um that at various sort of junctures and a lot of those things are things i never really pursued as thoroughly as I would like to, to even know where I could have possibly gotten with them. And nothing makes me, I'm not really, not to get dark, we're going to get dark. I'm not really afraid of death. I've never been afraid of death. I think it's a weird thing to be afraid of death because you just kind of poof out of existence and what is there to be afraid of? You're just, you're gone. Um, But the thought that I would have to leave this earth before I had the time to do all the creative things I want to do is by far the scariest aspect of death for me, right? Like, I'm not afraid of, like, leaving and dying before I've had, like, the the greatest loves of my life or, you know, or not having traveled. But the idea of leaving before I've made things I want to make is the thing that haunts me the most. No, I, I, I mean, I have the same... I have exactly the same feeling. If I ever think about lifelong goals, like, my, my only worry is, like, well, I didn't get to... I don't even know what I want to make specifically. Build but a boat and sail around the world in it. to make great things or make the first great thing. I don't even know if it's like, I, I think I definitely used to be driven by, by a thing you're describing, right? Like I want to make great things. I want to do something big and, yeah. and important. Uh, and, and more so lately, I feel like I just want to like do little things, but for, for me and like make things just on a small scale that mm. may or may not be great. And who cares how they're judged by time? I just want to, to do it. But yeah, I don't know. I've always felt that way. And it always makes me kind of, you know, I think if you cut that a little bit differently, it's like the most dangerous workaholic mentality imaginable, where it's like, I don't care about anything else. I just want to make sure I work all the time. Um, (laughs) But that is kind of, I guess, my, I guess what it comes down to is I feel like that is the thing that is most uniquely me more than anything else. Like, you know, traveling is great. I would love to see more of the world and you know, getting to love lots of people and travel and do that would be amazing. And, you know, eating great food is awesome and all that kind of great stuff. But none of that is unique to like my experience, right? Like anybody can go and enjoy those things. And that's great. 
but maybe maybe there are things that only I could make or would make, and I want the opportunity to make those things, I guess. Do you ever say that it's just like wanting to push things forward, or is it just to make a thing for you? <sighs> it's both sometimes. Um, I, lately, it's been less of the wanting to push things forward and more the wanting to like do my version of something, which may or may not be better or worse than the existing versions of whatever that thing is. Yeah. Um, I, I guess I've gotten less like goal oriented as I've as I've aged. <laughs> I'm coming up on 27 guys and I've been thinking a lot. No, I, I feel like now um, I, I guess I maybe it's that I'm more realistic and I have recognized that the opportunity to like really push things forward in like a noticeable way is probably not going to be something I could like do intentionally. Like it'll happen maybe, but maybe not. Uh, but the only thing I can kind of do intentionally is, you know, like put something out there and just want to do that more, whatever it means. My thing is, I just, I don't know what it is exactly, but I just want to experiment and make things different because I'm not sure that everything is working right now. And like, I could be totally wrong. Maybe there are things I want to poke around with and play with and they're, they're totally fine just the way they are. But like, I just want, maybe just I want to have my stamp on everything. Like I'm one day I'll die. That's and a very like, human thing. You I know, think. he, yeah. he did do this thing. Like it was a bad idea and it killed everybody, but he, it was his idea and it changed the world. He did invent the atom bomb or reverse penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, what is your motivation to make anything? Why do you, what do, what do you like about video games? Why do you like changing jobs? Do you even like your jobs? Like, why do you do anything, Dan? <laughs> well, I don't enjoy changing jobs. Like, there's nothing good about that because it's always like it feels super unstable. But like, I I don't know. I've always had um, the feeling like I just want to make stuff, and it's very hard to describe. But why? It feels like I actually did something, for lack of a better uh, phrase. Like, I I feel like there's accomplishment in it, and it could be something where like I make. Uh, some cool little graphic and I'm like oh cool I made a thing that feels nice or like if I make a penis piece of furniture then I'm like shut up <laughs> you know when Dan makes some penis furniture yeah penis furniture that is the title of the episode no um is that furniture for your penis or is that furniture that's made of penises <laughs> furniture it looks like a penis uh, I'm thinking looking like I like the idea of furniture for your penis it's like a, a lot a of nice, like, plywood though like a therapist's lounge chair a little small one you can yeah. uh you it's know, like a fainting couch. A fainting couch, perfect. <laughs> um, that'd be good. Uh, yeah, a piece of furniture. Um, now, if I were to make something like that, then I could actually use the piece of furniture. Like if it were a buffet or if it were a nightstand, I could get use out of that. And I would feel good because I got to make that thing that I get to use every day. And if it was something like making a video game, then it could be fulfilling because i feel like i'm able to tell a story or i can make something that is entertaining that other people can enjoy so it's something that's much less isolated and something that i'm able to share out to other people and that feels really good so that my motivation there would be to focus on actually making and finishing and then distributing the thing it's about other people it's all about other people yeah ultimately i mean it it's it's a balance between me feeling like I accomplished and made the thing that I wanted to make uh, in perfect balance with other people being able to consume it. See, for me, it used to be about other people in a big way. I think that was mostly like validation, right? Like there was this thing that I liked to do. And if other people also liked it, then I could tell myself that it was valuable and good. Mm -hmm. And there was no kind of confusion there. 
Um, I, I've lost a little bit of that. Like I, I care less about what people think now than I used to about my work specifically. Yeah. I, I'm, the more I'm sitting here thinking about it, you know, I said that it felt like it was the most uniquely me thing to do, right? The things I could make were kind of unique to me. But the more I'm thinking about it, I think maybe for me, it feels like just the most human thing to do. You know, like like animals eat and animals have sex and animals, you know, find shelter and do whatever. But like the the making of beautiful and unique special things and the making of great music and the making of novels and you know that's a very uniquely human thing and whether whether it is you know a novel that someone writes for 15 years or you know a pile of firewood in your backyard like i i think i get a very similar like satisfaction from from doing that thing right from from exerting myself into the world and just doing something uh, that is like very kind of maybe it's what I'm at most peace with my humanity because I know it's a thing that humans do and nothing else does. Yeah, yeah, and like I think where I got uh, in the past few years is that uh, when I was coming out of college and when I was still like really young in uh, my career, I felt like I needed to make everything that uh, everyone would want to respect. Like that, there was a very strong connection of oh, me yeah. making things and being have, having a lot of respect for it. And it had to be uh, a very wide audience. Like it couldn't just be like a small group of people. It couldn't be just for myself. It always had to try to be for everybody. And uh, what I found over time is that there could be things I can make for myself because it's just for self-fulfillment. There could be other things like, you know, it's popped into my head that I would want to make a fun multiplayer game that's local uh, so that I could play with my friends. And it could just be a lot of fun. It could be like something like Sports Friends for anybody that's played it. Um, where you're you're having to sit down with people in real life and it's not online multiplayer where you can just enjoy it and it's just like it's purely for the entertainment that you get to share that time with with other people and um, it, over time I feel like those things are much more fulfilling to me than trying to make like a typeface or something like that that um, everybody would use and it would be super popular like that doesn't interest me anymore I I still view everything as like a puzzle to crack Weirdly enough, I can hold these two ideas in my brain at the exact same time. Like, one, knowing that there's no singular solution to every single problem and everything is very complicated and a lot of people are going to like something and a lot of people are going to dislike something, or it can have positive and negative consequences. But also, I still have the motivation as if something can be solved. Like, I still go after something as if I can crack it, I can get to the bottom of it, and that's going to be very satisfying whenever it happens. And I've done things that are satisfying. But I've never gotten that thing that it seems like I'm going after. And I don't know if Andy's attitude is just like more mature and for whatever reason I haven't gotten there. Nah, but I also know different. people that I also know people that never lose that thing. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's any I don't think there's any sense of hierarchy there. It's just a difference, right? I'm, a part of it comes from at least me the things I used to like. And by like I mean look at and perceive value in and want to be like were used to be things that were were what you're describing matt like this idea of like something was solved very very beautifully and simply in a way that no one had thought of before but then it was solved and whether that's a tangible problem uh like you know eyesight in the third world or whether that's a kind of weird uh like theoretical problem that someone solved with something visual or something else um that was kind of what what i found value in Uh, and I, i still do to a certain degree but more and more, I, I guess I'm just becoming more selfish and less less concerned about 
the rest of like what my work does in the world and more concerned about what it does for me. Uh, and some of the things that I have done that have found the greatest uh, purchase in, in the world have made it the furthest. And we've talked about this before, are the things that I am least proud of, the things that are least representative of what I want my mark on the globe to be. Uh, I should, it's weird to call it the globe because the globe is a model of the earth. And so I shouldn't call it that. <laughs> um, what I want my mark to be when, you know, when I do get swept away by the sands of time. Um, so I, I guess maybe I'm just kind of disillusioned by the idea of doing something great and also popular and solving problems. And it, it, it's only because I've never solved something and had one of the things I really love get popular, which is just me not making yeah. anything good, right? So actually the thing about that is that recently, and when I say recently, I think I mean maybe the past year or so, like I'm definitely become kind of obsessed with the idea of random, of random chance. And I mean, it's something I played with a, with a bit in college too. And like I made, I guess I made a whole project about random chance. Maybe it's not the most recent thing, but I... Have you taken up gambling, Matt? Do you need us to talk about that? Actually, to be fair, that's what fantasy football is. And I'm obsessed with fantasy football. There's a lot of, lot about randomness in fantasy football. Um, and there's a lot about gambling in fantasy football. I don't really play it for money, but... Yeah, sure. You don't have to admit it here. It's fine. Uh, I actually don't play it for money. My league is not a money league. It's just about pride. Hmm. So the things I've been creating are like, like I love creating little Twitter bots and I love creating, I love working in processing um, or coming up with PHP script or whatever kind of scripts, coming up with scripts that are based on random numbers uh, because of the reason that like I, the things that seem to get the most traction, I don't necessarily know what they're going to be, but it feels cool to put something out in the world and just watch the world take it and run with it. Um, So I kind of love the idea of just like, I'm going to I'm going to define a process. I'm going to spit out random things and I'm going to let the world take care of it. I'm going to spit something out in the world and see what happens with it and maybe they take it and run with it and maybe they don't, but like as we've talked about the idea of a creative person being coming becoming more and more the person that evaluates, but there's also something very interesting in just letting spitting things out that you somehow created and letting the world evaluate because ultimately you don't nec- you don't really know. It it seems to me like Maybe this is the kind of work that you've been drawn to because it's the only kind of work where you can't possibly exert your value of solving things and finding the one true right way uh, or however you want to word it. You know, you're freeing yourself of that systematically. You're saying, I'm making this thing that is inherently random. I can't possibly be held to the standards of, you know, making this thing the perfect version of itself. Uh, Therefore, Mm -hmm. you're having the most fun and feeling the most creative doing that kind of thing which is interesting. I wonder if you could like figure out a way to just break yourself of that mode in all creating if you would find just as much joy in some things that weren't inherently random. How do you mean? Well, I, I just mean that saying it's a crutch makes it sound like you have a problem. I don't think you have a problem. But I think that <laughs> uh, this, is a, this is like a way to help yourself create something without that pressure that you just said that you often put on the work you're doing, right? You mm-hmm. like to crack the code, to solve the puzzle, to get to the bottom of it. Uh, and here you're basically setting up a situation for yourself where there is no bottom to get to. There's no code to crack. You're just making a thing, and it's got this element of kind of chaos to it. It's a chaos muppet, uh, and therefore <laughs> you 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 have to you know give into it a little bit, um, which is a it's a nice idea. Is it? Yeah, I was gonna say, is that 
my problem is solving and I'm I'm my therapy is is randomness. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 solving is a problem, you and I both have that, Matt. So <laughs> yeah. uh fear not. The question that came to my mind is that like if you had the chance to just quit your job and you would still have the stability and don't have to worry about like uh, paying the bills or having a home or anything, do you would you sit around and do these random projects or or would you fill your time otherwise? Well, here's the thing about that. I think I think part of it is a reaction to what I do at my job, which is very carefully controlled, where we're the experts at the thing, and we pitch the thing with confidence, whatever the thing is, a, a logo, a name, a website, a poster. A, Whether yeah. you have cracked the puzzle or not, you sell that puzzle as damn cracked. You have to, right? Of course. You, yeah. You're kind of forced to do so. So if I didn't have that, I wonder if I would even be nearly as interested. Like, I think it's, it's a balance. Um, I think maybe if, if, if I was just sitting around all day doing only that, maybe I would crave the other thing and I would switch to doing the other thing. But, uh, I wonder if I'm just trying to find some sort of balance in my life. So I'm, I guess what I'm saying is not necessarily, uh, I don't know that that would be good. I don't think I would be a guy who would sit around. I don't, I think I don't think so bored to death here. Look, I fill my time. I fill my weekends with a podcast because I don't have a thing to do. Right. So there you go. No, I don't think that's going to happen. At the same time, <laughs> if we did have this magical world where everybody was just making things they wanted to make, think of all the great content there would be to, to consume. And you'd have all the time in the world to consume it. I'm more interested in the why now. Now I almost didn't even care that we were talking about basic income. Basic what? What's basic income? There you go. <laughs> How does an economic work? But that's what it that's all that's what it comes down to. Like if you have all the choices to do anything you want to do, why are you even doing any of these things? That's what you have to ask yourself all the time, I guess. You can't just say, "Well, I'm doing it for money. I'm good at this, so I'll do it for money." And I I I can't tell for sure if this is true. But my feeling is that I would be almost almost exactly as like satisfied if my job were creating something that was infinitely less complicated and uh sort of challenging than than websites and apps and all these kind of systems we work in at work um if i was stacking cans at a you know grocery store and i got to come up with new ways to stack the cans every day in some big display uh, i think that would be very nearly as satisfying for me uh as what i do now in a lot of ways Hmm. um and I, i get the sense you do not feel that way matt no and I wouldn't want to do no, that. No, it would have to be a new, it would have to be some new problem every day. Like, I think, well, yeah, I, I'd have a limit, I think, right? Like, I think stacking yeah. cans for a month, I could probably find a month's worth of interest in can stacking, maybe more. Um, but I guess my point is that, like, I, this like, intellectual challenge is, is not necessary for me to feel satisfied. Like, I feel just as much satisfaction from, like, making a soup or, like, making a fire as I do from, you know, doing any of these giant projects we do. So it's 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 weird that you know we're doing the big complicated things. That's what people are willing to pay for, right? Like we're running a business, so that, that's how we ended yeah. up doing that. And if people were, would pay me to, you know, I don't know, make some very intricate little drawing or something, I would probably be just as happy doing that. I've I've always said that if someone could pay me a reasonable salary to just sit and draw like cute little icons all day, as as critical as I am of like the culture of just liking cute little icons. Uh, I would love to do that. Fuck, it's so fun. It feels so nice to just <laughs> craft little perfect icons all the time. Uh, that would be amazing. I would have so much fun doing that. Uh, I would have to listen to some podcasts, otherwise I would get my brain would get bored. But, you know, th- there's ways to deal with that. The thing that also comes down to is, like, I can't... 
I don't think I want to do stuff for me. Like, I'm not satisfied if I make a thing that's only for me. Huh. Interesting. I really, this is a thing I've, I've thought about a lot recently. Like, even just, hey, what if, I don't know, I play the hypothetical of like, what if I wanted to make my own thing, my own app, my own, I want to write a story. I want to, I want to kickstart something. Like, what would I do? And the thing, the thing that's tough is like, I've, I bounce around a lot of ideas in my head, but like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I'm very interested in, because it seems, because I feel like I'm pretty lucky. I have a pretty good life. I don't really need anything. I'm pretty covered. So I should probably be doing something for somebody else. And like the very, it's very easily solved when you have a, a business for clients because you're like, oh, well, they have a problem. I can solve it for them. But when <laughs> I get, when I their lives are and, not good. They have a real problem that needs solved, like a visual identity. <laughs> and that's the thing. Like it's not necessarily solving global hunger or something, no. but it is someone's presenting you with a problem. You're like, okay, I can wrap my head around this. And if I have to come up with the problems in my own life, I'm like, nah. It's, you know, it's the reason we have a problem with a lot of tech companies and we talk about that is because it's like, these aren't problems. Come on. And I have that same feeling like these aren't problems. I'm not going to solve it. So like, what are the problems in my own life? Am I really going to do I have any major, major issue? And then even if if I'm finding an issue, it's like, well, this is frivolous, dumb stuff. I have a place to live. I have food. I have people that love me. What am I really trying to solve for? So that I mean, that's the thing about. I'm not a guy who wants to. You know, I pl- spent plenty of time in high school writing music that was self-expression. Like, I don't, I don't see well. So the work I want to do is self-expression, this, even though it, 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 it has to be. This ties in a little bit to something else I've been thinking about, which is related, which is that my, my biggest dissatisfaction with my career right now, and overall, I love my job, love it. I think it's great. Almost wouldn't change a thing. My, my biggest issue is that my my value, the hard work that I'm doing, the time that I'm putting in is visible to so few people, right? Um, like in a lot of situations, it's really only our clients that know, you know, the, how the work we're doing and if it's good or if it's bad or, you know, what, what its value really is. Sometimes it's our client's end customer or end user, uh, but not all the time. Sometimes products don't work out like that. Uh, and I think that, you know, whatever I was doing, I would want, I, I think, the the way I would kind of justify the value of it at the end of the day would be the sharing of the thinking and process around it as I was doing the thing, right? Like like the reason I would want to sit down and you know write a, a lengthy blog about like a house or like interior design or whatever would be because I thought a lot about that stuff and I want to share it with people. Um, and it's not as much as you're describing, Matt, of like you know solving problems or uh you know making something to help people do whatever uh but i would love to have the time to basically just think and document those thoughts and share them with the world i I guess like i'm describing like a philosopher right (laughs) like as as dumb and aspirational as that sounds like that to me would be the like the this idea of like a designer philosopher of like i'm going to make things and i'm also going to share the things i'm thinking as i'm making them which you know, are, are hopefully valuable to somebody. Uh, and that would be a way for me to feel good about my relationship with the rest of the world. Like I'm making things for myself and I'm sharing how, why, when, and all of that with everybody else. You know, it's, it's funny you say that because if I have to think of my absolute ideal situation, that's it. That's exactly it. We got there for different reasons, but I love the idea of designing as kind of being experimenting, documenting, writing it down, um, I mean, you know, the designers I'm, I, I 
think are interesting and I follow are are kind of writing their philosophy or thinking out loud to define their philosophy. Um, that's the most interesting part of design to me. And I think the reason it kind of jives with what I've been talking about is like, ultimately, that leads to something helpful for people. That leads to something yeah, exactly. that can make someone's life more fulfilling, more interesting, um, or even just as simple as like, it might entertain them for a period of time. But that's, I mean, that's good enough. Like, I think that's, that works. There are plenty of philosophers that uh, could be debunked, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't read their work. Yeah, and it's just like, this sounds so um, familiar to like the scientific method, where like a lot of times it's not trying to find the absolute uh, final answer on something. It's just trying to get more and more knowledge to understand something better. And that, trying to make a better guess. Yeah, exactly. Always yeah. a better guess. And so it's almost like trying to live the life of a scientist where uh, you're you're not so selfish in a way where you're trying to say, like, I did this thing and it's the end all be all, but you're contributing to a greater good of uh, just understanding things a little bit better and continuing that process and, and helping out the process beyond yourself. Yeah, that to me is, is exactly the thing. And I wish, like, that, that to me, again, like, that's my biggest issue with my job right now is i don't have the ability to do that right time or in many situations like the 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 rights to share what it is i'm i'm doing uh and learning and thinking about because it specifically relates to something that i'm not allowed to talk about or some stupid shit like that um which is why like the the sharing of all the thinking about this house is way more appealing to me and something i would love to just sit down and do and maybe i will have the time soon but well, actually, that's interesting because you, you more than anyone talking right now are in control of your own destiny. Like, you're the boss, man. So is Everybody's, it, oh, I guess because you're saying because I don't have a boss. I know what you're saying. You don't have a boss. Gotcha, yes. Oh, no, I'm, I am also the boss of my own life. Okay, But good. I'm saying, like, within my own work environment, I am not the boss. Mm -hmm. uh, neither is Dan. Nope. So, I mean, let, Dan, did you get hired as CEO? No, not this time. Okay. Um, not at this time. So what's, <laughs> <laughs> so what's stopping you? Just money? Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, like, we've we've got a business now, which has lots of facets, and the sort of low-level priority of the business, like, the thing that it needs to do to continue to exist is make X amount of dollars, mm -hmm. and, you know, if, if we're not doing that, then we have to change something dramatic about how we compensate people, we have to change something dramatic about the benefits we offer, uh, or we have to, you know, keep finding people that are going to pay us money to do the job that we said we can do. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's um, I, I, as much as I like to think about a business as a creative endeavor, like a creative project, and you can kind of set your own goals. Um, frankly, the goals I'm sharing with you right now are not shared by people that I've started this company with me. Uh, they don't, this is not a value of theirs. Uh, so where you say I'm, I'm, I am I'm, don't have a boss, I don't have a boss, but I have peers that we need to agree yep. on things with. And if I said, hey, I'd really like to stop taking any client that wants us to sign an NDA and want to make sure that we're making time, uh, you know, one or two days a week to make sure we're writing down everything down and putting it on a blog. And I think they'd be like, why do you want to do that? That mm. sounds dumb. <laughs> so, and maybe they're right. Maybe it is dumb um, for, for the business, but I don't think it's dumb for me. So it's just a matter of finding like that balance that, that um, will work. It's a, starting a business with, with three other people is, is a very interesting thing, right? Because you, it's great in, in every way because you have these other perspectives, uh, which basically are, don't do dumb stuff insurance, right? The more people you have sitting at that table, <laughs> the more people are more likely someone's going to say, hey, wait a minute, this seems like a big dumb mistake for a certain reason, uh, which is excellent. And I'm sure has prevented, if any one of us were running this company, it would have been 
burned into the ground for any number, any number for four different reasons, depending on who, who it was that was in charge. Um, so I think that's good. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I something I've always wanted since we started the company was something that is like truly my own creative project that I have like total autonomy over because that's not what Friends of the Web is and it's not what it will ever be. Um, so, I mean, and this podcast is the same way. Like I love doing it with you guys. And frankly, if I wasn't doing it with you two and didn't have some like sense of responsibility to you to be here every day at 930 on Thursdays, uh, I would never make it on my own, right? But but the idea of making my own podcast or something has constantly been in out of my head because it'd be nice to just be in control. Everything's a trade-off. I just think basic income is a really cool idea. It is a cool idea. Well, it gets you here. It makes you ask the big question. Mm-hmm. It makes you ask why you're doing anything. And my answer is never going to be money. Like, I always want to have money. I want to have money. I want to support people. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't want money? But, Money's cool. <laughs> but I've said, the thing I tell, try to tell myself is like, look, Matt, you haven't had a lot of struggles in life. Your struggles have been your own. Like, you had a hard time in high school because you weren't happy about it. Like, it wasn't like you were poor. It wasn't like you were getting beat up all the time. Like, n- nothing horrible was happening. I was just unhappy with not being able to do a thing that I wanted to do. So I tried really Which was hard. Like drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> well, or make stuff. Like I wanted I didn't want to be sitting in Spanish class. I wanted to be making stuff. And so I tried really, really hard to make sure that I was gonna go to an art school and not go to like the high school I went to, people were like, You're crazy. You should go to Brown. You should mm-hmm. go to Yale. I got you a lot go of to that. Harvard. You're an idiot. What is wrong with you going to art school? Nobody goes to art school. That's stupid. My college advisor said, like, that's gonna hurt my numbers. He's a, like, he was wow. a fucking dick. But dude, are we going to trade horrible college advisor stories from high school? Did I ever tell you what happened with mine? Second. If you let me, like, just let me finish, finish my thought. Do your, do your thought. So basically since then, what I've at least told myself is like, look, the only real struggle has been you wanting to do what you want to do. And guess what? You've made it this far. You make a living doing the thing that you want to do. So you got to keep doing that. You can't just don't give up now. You got to keep pursuing it you got to keep working at it you got to keep doing that thing because that's pretty much been your only motivation in life you're not that you're not overcoming anything else that was your struggle so deal with that struggle and do what you want to do matt it's beautiful Damn. but but that's true like that's no, the only it is thing true. that's the only thing that's motivated me and we're like and extreme. why would i give up it's funny because there are like moments where i just think like ah you know, I'll make a decision about money over fulfillment. It's like, wait, that's fucking dumb. Because why? Why all of a sudden now? You made every decision up until this point, and then now you're gonna you're gonna steer the ship in the other direction. Like, you could have become a banker. You could have decided to make money and then go fuck off and do something else. But you didn't do that. So steer the ship in the right direction, Matt. Beautiful man. Get that tattooed on something. No, I, I th- you're right, and it's, we're we're lucky in that we've been able to do that. Right, like a f- few people, I think uh pursue the thing that they want to do and are met with you know essentially no other true hardships uh like mm-hmm. real true human hardships uh and, and you I, I share everything you said right and the, and i know that very intimately every time i like meet a rich person like a really rich person or i get to go to their house or i get to like see their family uh i'm always like this is definitely not what i want like confirmed again uh yet again <laughs> no doubt uh there's so much just like shit for the sake of shit uh yeah and it, for me it's like so much more important to be be like thoughtful and careful about everything um so so yeah i agree yeah. so my story about my college advisor in high school this is a good one 
Um, I went to a public high school in, in Pennsylvania, a good public high school in a good school district. And I, I did well enough in high school. And it's not like I was a smart dude. I just, um, I got really good at taking tests. And, you know, I, I, beat, I beat the system as much as I possibly could. I was like, I'm going to learn as little as possible, but still get really good grades in this, in this system. I did that. Um, you, you sound like me, Andy. You sound a lot like me. We have a lot in common, Matt. So, and I regret that immensely, right? Because there's things that I was taught in high school that I do not know now that I really wish I did because now I think they're important. And when I was a dumb kid, I thought I was stupid. So we can talk about that. I feel the opposite way. Oh, really? Interesting. (laughs) I mean, it's definitely a lot of stuff I'm glad I didn't pick up. But, uh, you know, like history class, I I fucking know shit about history. And (laughs) it's so valuable to me now. And I've read so much more on Wikipedia. And I wish I had just fucking paid attention in any of my AP history classes. And I'd probably be way smarter than I am now. Instead, I paid just enough attention to get an A- minus on the test. So when college application time rolled around, it's a big high school, and so everyone gets assigned a college advisor person. And I go down to meet with the person, and you have to have three, three scheduled meeting with, meetings with them over the course of the senior year. And the first one's like in the fall, and then the winter, and then in spring or something. And the first time I go down to the meeting, uh, it's a very nice woman, we're talking a little bit, and she's like, you know, your grades are really good. You think you have a lot of options available to you. Like, what are you thinking? I'm like, well, you know, I've wanted to go to art school since I was a kid. That, that's my plan. Uh, and she's like, oh, interesting. Well, um, that's uh, a really interesting kind of choice. If you, um, if you consider going to like a regular school uh, that has an art program. And I was like, yeah, I thought about that. But, you know, really not my thing. Pretty much been waiting to get to art school forever. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. And, uh, and she was basically kind of like very taken aback. Um, and we had a, a very pleasant conversation where she kind of, it thought it was weird of me to not want to go to what she considered to be a much better school when instead I wanted to go to art school, but she was very friendly about it. So I went back to my, uh, my, my classroom. I had like four art classes a day in high school, right? So I went back to the art classroom and I was telling one of my, uh, one of my peers this. And I was like, yeah, she wanted me to go to regular school. She didn't understand the whole art school thing. And uh, this uh, teacher I had that I did not get along with uh, overheard me saying this. And without saying anything to me, he storms down to the uh, to the guidance office, essentially, and apparently like tears the place up and is like, your guidance counselor told my student he shouldn't go to art school and I'm the art teacher and that's totally fucked up and what are you doing? You're not valuing blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, raised hell. I had no idea this happened because again, he did not say anything to me. So a week and a half later, I, goody two shoes, never really done anything wrong in high school, get called down to the vice principal's office and I'm like, okay, that's weird. I go down there and I show up and they're like, do you know why you're here? And I walk in and it's the vice principal and it's my uh, guidance counselor who looks very salty. Uh, and it's like the head of the guidance department. And I'm like, I have no idea why I'm here. And like, well, we heard that you were very unhappy with your counselor with so-and-so. And I was like, I didn't say anything to any, I don't know why. Like she said, I should go to regular school, I guess, but I'm not that mad about it. And uh, basically like <laughs> this guy had raised enough hell that the next time I came down for my for my second like assigned meeting with my counselor uh, I walked into this lady's office and she like looked up saw me and she like got up and left and then a different person came in and said like oh Miss Smith or whatever is not going to be meeting with you she she doesn't want to speak to you <laughs> wow so <laughs> I was able to make a guidance counselor not want to speak to me uh, and I think we're <laughs> supposed to be good at problem solving uh, but yeah, that's how the other two meetings of my senior year went with my guidance concert. They, uh, she refused to talk to me. So high school, what's up? Oh <laughs> if I could go back in time, I probably would do less in high school. Like yes. I did the same kind of skated because I did like, I figured out how to get good, good enough grades. I could always get an A or a B. 
and I didn't have to do a whole lot of work. Uh, the only thing I had motivating me was fear of getting in trouble. Yeah, so me too. If I can go back in time, I just realized that, that didn't matter and be like, eh, <laughs> trouble's made up. <laughs> trouble's made up. <laughs> when, when, you're in, when you're in a public high school in the middle of a wealthy suburb, there is no trouble. What are you talking about? You can't get into trouble. Right. What was going to happen? Yeah. I would get, I got, and also, I got in trouble a lot. Oh, see, I didn't. <laughs> I got sent home a lot. Dang, I got dude. in trouble that one time I just described, which again, I would say, not really my fault I got in trouble there. It's a weird miscommunication. And the other time I got in trouble was when I did the boys speaking contest, which is what uh, we had that at our school. And uh, the boys speaking contest, traditionally, like the school would allow like a small amount of swearing in the name of artistic merit. Like if you were doing a, a short speech or something that had the word shit mm-hmm. or damn in it, uh, they, they would allow that. Uh, and then the year before I did it, uh, one of the students went up there and took a little bit of advantage of that and said a bunch of horrible words on stage. And so my year, they made it illegal to say bad words. But I did a Kurt Vonnegut piece and I said a bad word because uh, it was in it and he had just recently died. And then I got in trouble for that. Um, but that's basically it. Oh, see, there you go. I mean, all my anytime I ever got in trouble, it was only for things I thought were unjust. Like I never, I didn't get in <laughs> of trouble. Of course. <laughs> that I is, didn't get in trouble because I was like caught, I don't know what graffitiing the building or something like nothing serious just like i thought the dress code was dumb so i was that didn't apply to me Ah. i thought it was unjust nazis had dress codes man so that was i was gonna wear a dress code that's my favorite quote the only times i got in trouble were times i thought it was unjust (laughs) the one thing i did i thought i wish i'd done more of is on one of my sat tests i thought the sats were racist so i why do you think sats were racist this is a new concept for me Oh, okay. So, well, one, like the questions that they ask, uh, and two is that, so there are people who can afford it will pay for SAT tutoring. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's pretty fucked and up. And that, um, which is kind of a fucked up thing because it's supposed to be a standardized test. And so, like, if you are, it's not necessarily racist, it would be like more socioeconomic, Classist, but yeah. you can also, um, you can draw translate that, line. that. But high school Matt was absolutely going to call it racist because that was more inflammatory. Um, <laughs> and so I thought it was racist. So, on one of my tests, I just, the essay i just wrote a bunch of nonsense words and i never i can't remember what happened with it but i took i took a bunch of tests and ultimately got a fine score but i just wish i did that more i should have done that more because i don't know what happened with it i remember i just wrote a like a pure nonsense essay and uh i remember being very proud of myself and thinking back i'm still proud of myself i did that that was fun (laughs) well at least we've grown up (laughs) that's all i gotta say (laughs) Man, that was not a money decision there, Andy. A couple a couple years behind me in my high school. And so we had, you know, we had standardized tests in the form of like SATs and, you know, whatever. But there are also the statewide standardized tests, which I assume you had something similar, uh, where basically like it was a, a much easier test because the standard was was lower. But the idea was that it was just basically to make sure the school was teaching the correct is things. Is this high school or younger? Because in younger, we had, I think it was the MCAS. It was like Massachusetts We had this, we had this State, in, every, in every in grade school, middle school, and high school in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, it was the mm. PSATs. Uh, no, that's practice SATs. Oh, it was the PSSAs. No, I, yeah, PSATs. Pennsylvania, I that, Pennsylvania State Assessments is what it was. Mm. Um, mm. Anyway, it was basically like the school just had to do well enough that it would keep getting its funding, uh, more or less. And one year, <laughs> in my high school, the students figured out was what it was, and the entire class collectively bombed and <laughs> really messed up the school district for a whole year, as I understand it, and they got into big <laughs> trouble. Uh, but they basically, like... It was like 400 or 500 students, and they all, like, enough people organized that they intentionally bombed the PSSAs such that it messed up the school district. That's pretty good, actually, because that's a pretty poorly designed solution. That's a great to way to fight the system, yeah. yeah. So, 
Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll damage things for one year. You'll damage your own education for one year, but maybe the next year... Next year, class size is 40 students. I hope you're happy. <laughs> um, you're all on the short bus now. Sorry, guys. All we have the is short, the one well, short, the short bus. bus is now the long can't bus afford a long bus anymore. I hope you're happy. <laughs> <laughs> long bus costs money. So I was gonna say something. Oh, Matt, do you think um, do you think you and I would have been friends in high school? I think so. We were similar enough, right? Like, I mean, it, oh, or, or too similar. Are you getting at maybe too similar? Maybe too similar. And we would have we would have had a competition going. We would have butt heads. I was fucking there mega was. competitive in high school. Wow. I'm I, that hasn't changed about me. I'm still that way. But uh, I do remember not in high school. In I think in elementary school, there was one other kid who could draw well. Oh, fuck. And I thought he was my mortal. Oh, enemy. dude. Dude, I had this amazing experience. I have so little memories from when I was younger. But when I was in second grade, you know, I was, of course, the kid that could draw well. I think maybe all of us were. Uh, sure. And that was my, that, that's your identity when you're like, you know, eight or whatever. And in school, mm-hmm. you're the kid that can draw well. I guess I was seven, probably, in second grade, six. Um, anyway, uh, I was the kid that could draw well. And then one day, there was a transfer student. Somebody moved to town and was joining our class. And word on the street was that he could draw well. And me and Frank Palera went toe to toe in a drawing contest. <laughs> like I, I remember so distinctly him walking up to me. We were six years old. We were fucking children. He walked up to me and goes, "I hear you can draw well." And I was like, "I guess he was probably like me here. You draw good, or however six year olds talk." Uh, and I was like, "Yeah, I do draw pretty good." And he was like, "All right, me too." <laughs> like walked away threateningly. <laughs> kids, kids are fun. Did you fight him? I did not fight him. I definitely fought the kid. It was a kid named Jared. And mm, we like mine was Frank. We're almost friends, but too much tension, and we definitely ended up fighting. And I remember at the end, he spit on me. That was oh that was God. the last straw. I have never oh been in a fight God. in my entire life. I was a little scrawny person. No one would. I wouldn't have fought anybody. Elementary school fights were mostly like grappling and then rolling around. Oh, I that remember witnessing them. Way. I remember witnessing them, and you know, and as yeah. a kid, thinking it was horrifying and super violent. And now as an adult, <laughs> I'm like, that's cute. Uh, for whatever but no, reason there are no punches thrown in elementary school i don't know well, why yeah, punching wasn't a thing you couldn't do that until no punching. at least like fourth or fifth grade and then the first person that punched somebody you're like whoa mm-hmm. shit got real i guess we're grown-ups now <laughs> <laughs> all right should we take it to the happy ending like, please okay. please put us out of our misery holy shit uh Mine is actually the. This got leaked a, a while back, but it was the uh, the new employee handbook at Valve. You guys saw that, right? No, I don't even know what you're talking. Okay, about. well, the the link is in there, so thumb through, I guess, while we're talking. The reason I love this is one, you can like I get to see the inside of like how they talk about new employees at Valve, which is just it's cool because you know they're really they're a great gaming company, but. It also exposed a lot of how they work and how they want to be able to communicate that stuff. So there's really two sides of it for me. One, um, the way that they communicate it in this in the PDF is very human. There's a lot of jokes in there. There's you know like important information, but it's always put in like a pretty positive light, uh, which is a stark contrast from a lot of new employee guides. Uh, trust me, I have seen I guess enough in my days. <laughs> um, seen a handful. You've gotten some HR folders in your day. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, just the tone of it is fantastic. And actually, it feels significantly more welcoming to somebody going in than uh, a lot of the other garbage that's out there. Um, But the other part of it is uh, really the content on the inside, because they talk about how the company works. 
um, which is very interesting because it's very open and very democratic. Like if it's kind of in the same subject that we kind of bounced around uh, with in this episode where uh, say you're working on Team Fortress 2 and you get interest on working on Half-Life 3, uh, even though it's never going to come out. Uh, you can just pick up your stuff, your your desk is on rollers, and you can just move over to the team that's working on the other project. It's like you're not stuck in just the, the same monotonous thing during your stay in Valve. And a lot of the like, decisions that they make are based on votes. Um, there is no real hierarchy. There's basically Gabe and then everybody else, but you know Gabe doesn't really uh, use authority a bunch. So overall, just the whole, like the feeling of this thing, even though it's, it should feel dry just because it's like new employee documentation, uh, it just shows so much about the company. It's uh, presented in a nice way. And oh my God, I wish more companies would do something like this. Kind of amazing. You're actually reading an employee handbook. That's the first, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's nice little illustrations throughout and you know, it looks uh, pretty, but God, the luxuries of being a product company, you can just pick up and do whatever you want. (laughs) We can't do that. No one would work on our clients that no one likes. Yep. <laughs> Hi, client. Hate to tell you, but uh, nobody liked your project this week, so work didn't get done. Maybe next week? Government provided us with shelter, so we didn't work God, on the think of how much the bullshit economy would suffer if we had a basic income. Yep. No one would fucking tolerate bullshit anymore. You, we wouldn't, you couldn't get away with it. That's a good happy ending, Dan. I have read through this a little bit before, but I'm going to do it more again. When I last saw this, I didn't, uh, didn't own a company. So now it's taken on a new, new light, and I'm excited to page a little bit more. Oh, is this really old? It's is a couple really years old? old. I think it came out in 2013. Um, oh, but I yeah. thought it was older than that. Maybe I'm missing something. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like, if anything, seriously look at the last page of it, because it's a glossary of terms that they have throughout. And like the last one is WFH. And he says, working from home, what to do if a single snowflake falls out of the sky? This has been On The Grid, episode 104. This week, I'm going to tell you about one thing. It's called Two Things. It's our newsletter. We send it every single week. Actually, Andy sends it out every single week. And here's the great thing. I don't have to write it, so I just receive it in my inbox, and I actually genuinely enjoy it every single time. So if you want to hear about two heartfelt recommendations, and you want a pithy little email, and you want to enjoy two things with us, go to tinyletter.com slash two things and sign up. tinyletter.com slash two things. TWL. Thanks to Roll Music and Glassboy for the interlude music, Girlfriends for the theme music, and finally, thanks to you for listening. Until next week. Are you guys looking at Twitter right now? Twitter is freaking out about what color a picture of a dress is. My girlfriend just showed me a picture of that dress, and I think everyone's trolling me. I, trolling like the You're amount trolling me the what? amount of people talking about it on twitter is like international tragedy tragedy level of tweet density like what people are going nuts are about this little, i'm sure it only lasts for a split second but dress god i love the internet are you explaining to your girlfriend why she's trolling you i don't know she's like looking at me and making noises just go ahead and say what you're gonna say what are you trying to say what color do they see andy what color do you think the dress is
I think it's impossible to tell from the poorly white balanced photograph. Though I do think if you spend some time and you could guess at what temperature the lights are in the background, you could probably white balance it and figure it out. I think it's blue and black. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. Is there a link? Someone hasn't looked at Twitter. Dan doesn't know anything about Twitter. Dan, wait, let me explain this to you for the benefit of our listeners who may have missed this little blip in the social media world. Uh, Right now, someone on Tumblr posted a poorly lit, like, cell phone photograph of a dress in a store. And the color of the dress, it's like it's got a kind of stripey pattern. And the colors of the dress, because of the poor lighting and poor white balance, you can't tell if it's like a white and gold dress or if it's a like blue and black dress. And currently the internet is freaking out about it. Wait, but it, it looks blue and black. Okay, well, Susie's happy that she, to hear you say that. Dances is blue and black. So no one has seen white and gold? No one's seen white and gold. I mean, I, I can see it as white and gold if the white balance is that far off. It's, it's conceivable. I honestly can't see it. I don't know what really, you're talking about. Really, you can't about. see it at all? No. How well, is this, this is pretty good internet, right let me tell you. Pretty good podcast material right here. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I think this is part of the internet I, I don't understand. Like, I have... How did this even start? Like, someone I get it, posted re- it on Tumblr. I think, okay. I think someone posted it on Tumblr, like, should I buy this or something? And then it just exploded. But how the fuck is this trending? Because of just, internet. Because of internet. That's Oy. how beautiful and weird and wonderful the internet is. It's a beautiful place. My girlfriend is staying next to me freaking out. I don't know what... What are, what are you so excited about? It's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> I want to know if it's real. If it's real, she, Andy, I think of she course thinks... it's a real dress. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think Andy has the answer or something? Yeah. He doesn't know? <laughs> Trust oh. me, lady. If I had the answer, oof, I'd be all over it, but I got nothing. He doesn't know? It is an internet thing, but we don't know. I think it's trolling. Yeah. The, you, what do you mean you think it's a trolling? Like, you oh, think someone, like, manufactured some sort of says, impossible dress? I think dress? everybody... No, no, I think the people who are saying that it's gold are just trolling. Oh, no, you're, no, you're wrong. People definitely... Like, I see it. I, I get how they can okay, see it that Andy way. Andy says I'm wrong on that front. No, I don't, I don't think the white and gold people are collectively trolling everybody. He thinks it's poor white balance of the photo. Well, it's definitely... <laughs> she shook her head and walked away. You're dismissed. Have a good night. <laughs> wow. Jeez. Oh, man. Well, I've decided I'm never again going to refer to one of your partners as your girlfriend and or wife. I'm always going to use their names from now on because I haven't met met your wife, Dan, but Mm. I've met Susie, so. You just did it. You just said Dan's wife. Well, that's because I haven't met her yet, I guess. Okay. Well, there you go. So she's not a person yet. Nope. (laughs) Just like the dress. (laughs) Susie's <laughs> very upset about the dress. Person thing. or not a person? Who knows? Can't tell. I don't know. Uh, Dan, did you make up your person? Um, no. No, you know it's not your wife's not Billy. No. Oh God, that would okay. be awkward. Oh, oh boy. Yeah, In a lot of ways. <laughs> but Twitter is amazing. like this is why Twitter is so great though, right? Because it's just like somebody built a porthole into humanity. Like, like, this is the kind of thing that would happen, you know, like, in your own brain, but it's happening in everybody's collective brain in public, and it's quantifiable, because Twitter is magical like that. I'm not saying, I don't know, I don't know if the company's worth any money or if they're going to survive at all, but it's just a magical thing, currently.